Good morning, Mercy. Great to be with you. Great to see you all this morning. I want to give a special shout out to everybody who's here, who's visiting for the very first time. We want to especially welcome you. Thank you for being here. We actually have a gift for you at our welcome desk right out of that back door on your way out today. Uh, Not right now, right at the end of the service. Uh, You can go out and grab a a bag of goodies uh, that we would love for you to have. I I want to also special shout out to uh, my dear friend all the way from South Carolina, uh, Brother Hydric Gass and his wife, Sonia. We thank you all for coming all the way up here. Uh, And actually, just got a job up here, so it's relocation. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, And thank you for considering mercy in your church. (laughs) Uh, Let us uh, pray, and then we'll get into uh, today's message. So, Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We are nothing without you, and we just want to honor you this morning. We thank you for bringing us to this place to fellowship with one another. God, we thank you for this opportunity where we can fellowship with you. I pray that you would uh, use the words of my mouth to make some impact in my life and in the lives in this room. To everybody listening online, would you speak? Would you decrease me that you might increase? Would you use this room as your sanctuary. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever watched HGTV? HGTV? All right, all right, all right. Uh, What's your favorite show? Hometown? Okay, Good Bones. My daughter likes, that's one of my daughter and my wife, that's their favorite channel. HGTV, always looking at homes and and remodeling. How many of you have ever remodeled your house or you did any work to your house? Look at all of these hands, right? We're not satisfied with how things are. It needs to be better. Uh, We have to make some renovations. We all need some renovations in our homes. Let me tell you about my wife and I. When we moved to Syracuse, New York, many, many moons ago, we we lived in Syracuse, and uh, we decided to buy our first home together. And so we were looking all over. We probably looked at 100 houses, but we looked at houses, houses, houses. We couldn't find exactly what we wanted. We couldn't find uh, uh, something in the neighborhood we wanted. We couldn't find uh, a house that was updated like we wanted. And so we, uh, uh, we found a home that was nearby the church I was pastoring at. It was 10 minutes away, uh, but uh, it, it needed a little help. It needed a little help, and so it was old. It, it was out of date. I mean, it was, it was musty. It was, she, oh, you yelling out all this stuff. It was nasty. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't that, that in that greater shape, uh, uh, but what we decided to do was to purchase this home at a nice low price uh, back then, and, and we uh, put the work in. We got to work on that. We were a lot younger and ambitious back then, so we could put the work in. We put the time in, the sweat equity. We called up people from the church who uh, uh, were carpenters and and, and electricians and friends that had these skills to help us out because we didn't know what we were doing. And we improved that house one room at a time. 
one room at a time, we worked on this house in order to make it into our home. You see, not only did we work on that house, but we worked on our relationships in the neighborhood. Because, see, we didn't necessarily fit in uh, in that neighborhood. I don't know if you catch what I'm throwing. Uh, but we didn't necessarily feel comfortable where we were. But as we started to renovate our house and make it into a home, we also renovated our relationships and connected with people. And then uh, uh, several of the houses in our neighborhood went up for sale when we moved in. I'm not saying what that was for, what it was about, but that was a blessing because more people started moving in. They look like us. More people, uh, the diversity of the neighborhood started to change. The, the, the ethnicity makeup of the, of the neighborhood started to change. The religious makeup, people start, from all religious backgrounds started coming together. It was generationally started to become diverse, and it started to feel like home. We did so much work in that neighborhood that other people started doing work on their houses. And then the person next door and across the street, and we got to know everybody, and everybody's working on their homes, increasing the property values. That was a good thing because when it was time for us to sell, oh, the Lord blessed us. Indeed, amen. And we moved here to Minneapolis. But the family who purchased our home, they got a brand new house. They got a brand new house from top to bottom. We renovated every single room in the house. It was a beautiful thing, right? So little by little, we worked on improving that home and our surroundings. And neighborhoods are only good, and they only get better when the inhabitants of that neighborhood actually invest in that neighborhood, actually put in the work in their own homes and in the relationships that surround them. What if you put in that kind of work, not, not just in your own home, not, not just to improve your neighborhood, but what if you put in that kind of sweat equity into improving your own life? What if you, you, you took some time out of every day or every week to say, I want to be a little bit more like Jesus, and so I'm going to work on this area of my life. I'm going to work on that area of my life. This week, I'm just going to focus on one thing at a time. What if uh, we worked on transforming ourselves little by little, step by step? What effect do you think that that would have on, on, on your family? Let me tell you something. Any person who gets better impacts their family automatically. Any person who works on themselves automatically impacts their family. But watch this. Any family that's uh, uh, impacted and improved automatically impacts their church. And the church gets better. And when the church gets better, the neighborhood gets better. And when the neighborhood gets better, our cities get better. And when our cities get better, our state gets better. And when our state gets better, our state representatives get better. And when our state representatives get better, our country will eventually get better. And when our country gets better, then the countries around the world get better. And the world gets better because you got better. You see, it starts with you. And it starts with me. We can't throw shade on everybody else because they're not up to whatever par we set. Work on you. Work on you. Let me uh, uh, get to some scripture before y'all call me a heretic. 
Would you meet me in the book of Ephesians? We'll be in chapter number four. We're going to start at verse number 17. If you have your Bibles, just go ahead and open them up or turn them on. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can follow along on the screens. We'll be in the New International Version of the Scriptures today. Verse 17 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. Put it off. You got to act this thing out. Keep your attention. Sorry, Amy, whoever's thing that is. We'll pick it up later. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Today, I want to continue our series called Imagine Better, and I want to title today's message, Imagine a Better Me. Imagine a better me. Many 21st century Christians uh, are not fans of the person writing this text. This is the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul is that uh, a guy who will get all up in your business in your face. And we don't like that. We don't like when somebody tells us about ourselves. Matter of fact, when we turn on the Paul channel and he starts digging into our business, we turn to the channel of the Psalms if we're going to stay in the Bible. Oh, the Psalms, they're so sweet and wonderful and lovely. I just love God and God loves me. Hi, Jesus loved me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. We love uh, stuff. We love lightweight stuff. We love stuff that's not challenging. We love stuff that's just going to get us by uh, uh, to the next moment. But Paul digs into your mail. Paul likes to, to, to let you know what righteousness actually looks like, how we are supposed to transform our lives, how we are supposed to be living day to day. And so some of us look at Paul like he's the moral police telling us about ourselves. You see, Paul talks about subjects in this book alone. He talks about anger and how you're supposed to control it. He talks about uh, love and relationships. He talks about sex. He talks about uh, 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 our families and how you're supposed to be treating them. He gives us some moral directives. And we like to get defensive 
Because especially in our westernized mindset, we have this imagination of what freedom is. Because we understand freedom, how we in our culture understand freedom, we understand that freedom is the ability to do whatever the heck I want to do whenever I want to do it and bet that nobody else say nothing about it. That's not real freedom. I'll talk more about freedom on another day, uh, uh, but just to let you know, put that place marker there, remind me later. But Paul here is inviting us to renovate the rooms in our lives. He's inviting inviting us uh, uh, to imagine a better me, to imagine a better you. And so he's inviting us to do three things. The first thing that he's inviting us to do sets up the rest of the stuff. But the first thing is to examine your identity. He wants you to remember who you are. Don't forget it. Don't forget who you actually are. Paul's not in the business of wagging his finger at Christians. He's not just doing this and talking about these things to make you feel bad or or to say, "Mm -mm -mm, I can't believe you did that again. No, no. What he's trying to get us to understand is that our behaviors actually grow out of our identity. Who you think you are matters. And I know I'm right about it. Listen, who you determine that you are, who you identify as matters because it affects your behavior. It affects what you're going to do. Some of us came to church today incredibly happy. I talked to some of you on the way in here, and y'all just wonderful, in love with Jesus, ready to go. Like the sun was shining. It wasn't chilly outside. It wasn't. It's pretty good out there, right? Uh, You woke up on the right side of the bed. Your kids were already dressed when you got up. The the breakfast was already made, right? right? Everything was wonderful, beautiful, and and, and lovely. And so that affected how you worshiped this morning. That affected how high you raised your hands or or what you were thinking about as you sat here and the songs were being sang. But then some of us came in depressed. Some of us had a disagreement with our spouse just before we came in the door. Some of us, our kids, wouldn't obey what we were trying to get them to do, so we might have been running a little bit late this morning. Some of us uh, have sunk so deep into our depression that we might be thinking today, this is my last day. And if the preacher doesn't say something that changes my mind, today is my last day. Maybe you came in today and you said, man, things are just too bad in this world. And you don't see any hope. Maybe you even messed up last night or this morning and fell short and say, how can a God of heaven and earth love a person like me who keeps doing the same thing? I keep trying to change. I want to stop right here and let you know that no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter how far you feel distant from him, no matter where you are right now, God is saying, I love you. 
God is not up in heaven looking down on his people and saying, mm, 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 they can't get it together. No, Jesus the Christ is not sitting up in some kind of cloud looking down on you, shaking his head and wagging his finger. No, he came down from his throne in heaven. And he came down, and he didn't shake his finger and, and all that kind of stuff at you. He came and sat down right next to you. And he said, you're my daughter, and I love you. And I'm right here next to you. No matter what you're going through, we in this together. And every step you need to take, I'm going to be right there with you. And every time we need to move forward, I'm going to move forward with you. And if you slip up and go backward... I'm going to slide back a couple steps too. But I'm going to always pull you forward. I will never pull you down. Jesus loves you that much. And he's always willing to come down to wherever you are. So listen, if you came in here today with anything weighing you down, if you came in here today feeling uh, uh, dis disappointed and depressed and, and, and you feel like something is, is holding you back, listen, I don't want you to leave here today with that on your conscience or on your life. We're going to have prayer teams up here at the front at the end of service. I want you to let them pray over you so that God can release that thing, release you from that thing that's holding you back. He's here. He's in the chain-breaking business, folks. Let them invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life, into your situation. Back to the message. Verse number 17 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He's serious about this. I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who is a non-Jew, ethnically or nationally. That's a word that the Jewish people use to describe the others. You know, those folk over there. But Paul says, you are not supposed to act like the Gentiles anymore. Well, you got to do a little bit of research. You can't just read surface on the Bible. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Who attends the church in Ephesus? Gentiles. This is a Gentile city. So, Paul, what are you telling me? You're telling me I can't be me? That's who I am. I am a Gentile. It would be like if I came up in here and I tell y'all, stop acting like those Americans. Oh, some of y'all already looking at me, got red and everything else. I see your faces. He's anti-patriotic. Paul is not telling you to stop being a Gentile. Paul is not telling you to stop being an American. Paul said stop acting like them. Why? Because your identity dictates that you are greater than that. And your identity says that your identity should inform whatever that is you fill in the blank with. So if I'm an American, my Christianity should inform my Americanness. And I should now show everybody else how a real American is supposed to live who's following Christ. 
you are not primarily your racial identity. You are not primarily your political identity. You are not primarily your sexual identity. You are not primarily your socioeconomic identity. If you read the scriptures, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that you are a new creation. If you're in Christ, the old things are what passed away. Behold, all things become new. You are not primarily anything that you might identify as except for in Christ. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans uh, uh, puts this. uh, Greatest preacher that I've ever heard and ever met uh, is Dr. Tony Evans. He wrote this book called Oneness Embraced. If you get a chance, check out that book, uh, Change Your Life and Your View of uh, the Racial Issues We Have in This World. But uh, I'm going to paraphrase one of his passages, and I'm actually going to add a few of my own thoughts into it. He says that uh, to refer to oneself as a black Christian or as a white Christian or as an Asian Christian or as a Hispanic Christian or as a Republican Christian, or as a Democratic Christian, or as a conservative Christian, or as a liberal Christian, is actually technically incorrect. It's actually grammatically and biblically incorrect to refer to oneself in those terms. Because what you're doing is making the Christianity of your life the noun. And therefore, everything, all the adjectives of your ethnicity, the adjective of your politics, the adjective of your sexuality, the adjective of your socioeconomic status is now informing and transforming the Christian noun. And therefore, we have done it backward. If we are in Christ, then our Christianity ought to be the adjective that informs and transforms anything that we identify as. So if you want to be a Republican, make sure that you are a Christian Republican first so that Jesus Christ can inform and transform your political thoughts. If you want to be a Democrat or liberal, make sure that you are a Christian Democrat or liberal so that the Jesus Christ that's in you can transform all of your political thoughts in the way that you work in this world. Identity is important. Because it transforms who we are and how we behave. When Lakita and I renovated our home in Syracuse, we wanted a comfortable home. And so we didn't want the, 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 the kitchen that was in there. You got the picture of the kitchen. We didn't want the faux background. What is that? The, the faux brick background that came with that kitchen. The, the, the counters that went all the way up to the ceiling. I, you, I wish you could see the back of that picture. It was those cabinets all the way around the whole thing. It, was, uh, it, wasn't, that, it wasn't that great. Um, we didn't want the bathroom that it came with. The, the old Pepto-Bismol bathroom. You can't really tell here, it was, but it was all pink. I don't know what era this was from, but it wasn't 
21st century. <laughs> the, the, everything, in, my wife wouldn't even use this bathroom. She'd go all the way down to the basement <laughs> the whole time. She said, no, not until you destroy this thing. <laughs> so, you know, we had to get on that one quick. But when we moved in, right, as we moved in and the more we inhabited that place, the more we transformed that old house into our home. You see, eventually our home became brand new. Eventually, we worked on that kitchen and we turned it into this. Well, thank God for my wife. She's the designer. I'm, I'm just a worker. I'm a laborer in the vineyard. Uh, we, we wanted a new house that was comfortable, and so the bathroom ended up becoming this. No more Pepto-Bismol. You see, when we truly identify with Jesus, what we're doing is we are giving room in our lives for the Holy Spirit to come and take residence up in our lives. That becomes his new home. And if we really open the door to him, we allow him into every room of our lives to make transformation. But guess what? Don't get upset if you don't get a new house overnight. Because the Holy Spirit comes in and knocks on this door. Can you let me in the bedroom? No, I don't want to let you let me in the bedroom. So, well, I'm going to go to the basement and I'm going to fix that one up first. I'm going to go over to the attic. I'm going to fix that up first. Till you get ready, let me in the bedroom or whatever other room. I'm going to start fixing up some other stuff. Thank God that that's how he works on each one of us. Because he wants us to become better. Let me... uh. Knock out these other two points here. Two other things that Paul wants us to do, number, number two, is he wants us to do some demo work. He wants us to let go of the old. Let go of the old stuff. You see, a lot of people like the demo process because you can let out your frustrations in that process. Oh, man, people can enjoy that smashing stuff, knocking it down, getting a sledgehammer, just putting holes in walls. You no care for any of that stuff because it's all going in the garbage. Right? Paul is saying you got to let go of some stuff in your life. Verse 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You see, we all have desires. We all have wants. We all have goals in our lives. And none of those things are bad in themselves. None of those things are corrupt in themselves. It's great to have the desire to be in a relationship. It's great to have the desire to want to achieve a goal, to be successful, to want a physical touch relationship with someone. All of that stuff is good and from God. Paul is saying that the challenge is when those things are not ordered and directed by our identity in Christ. You see, when those things are not directed by Jesus, we can actually misplace those things in our lives. Because we can think that we won't be complete or we won't be whole or we won't be successful without those things in our lives. 
We'll hold up those things as idol gods in our lives. We'll look at that relationship and say, I'm nobody if I don't get this type of relationship. I'm not valuable if I never get married. I am not successful if I don't have this amount of money in the bank. I'm not all that I'm supposed to be because I don't have fill in the blank. Jesus wants you to demo those thoughts and ideas today. He wants you to take a sledgehammer to those thoughts because they are holding you back from being all that he's created you to be. Demolition is important. We got to knock that stuff out because guess what? You're already valuable in Christ. You're already the imago Dei, the image of Jesus Christ created from the beginning. He gave you value when he thought you up before you were in your mother's womb. He knew who you were. And you have value and worth. Don't believe what culture is trying to sell you, that you got to have this, have that, go on social media and all, live like somebody else in order to have value. You have value in your identity right now. Just because you belong to him. So listen, the third thing that he wants us to do is to renovate. Not only should we demo some stuff, we need to build some stuff back up. Listen, if you demo something without a plan to reconstruct, you're left with chaos. And not just in your house, right? I see this all the time with folks in this Christianity wall. They want to go through, and we taught, we did a whole lesson, uh, a series on on deconstruction. So if you you don't remember it, didn't see it, didn't listen to it, go back online and listen to the deconstruction series. But we have to not only have a plan of demolition, but we also have have a plan of reconstruction because if we don't, If we just plan to destroy the stuff in our lives, we'll be left with chaos. And so we need a rebuilding plan. He says, put on the new humanity. Verse number 23. It says, be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self. Created to be like God and in true righteousness and holiness. He wants us to renew something in ourselves. He wants us to renew the attitude of our minds. He wants us to change our minds. How can we do that? Verse number 32 tells us some specifics, some practicality. How can we do that? He says, be kind. You say, man, that's too simple. No, it's a change of mind. I want you to look around the room. Everybody look around the room. Just look, look at all the people that's here. Amen. Good to see y'all. All right. Before you leave today, identify one of those persons. And I want you to say something incredibly kind to that person. Look, you got time right now. Think about it. Write it down if you have to. Just think of something. Because I want everybody before they leave here to receive a word of kindness. Because you're worth it. But he says, not only be kind, but also to show compassion to each other. Watch this. And forgive each other. That's the hardest thing for us to do. We have to learn to do these things. He says, what? Those things help to change your mind. All right. I'm out of time. Let me me run quick to the conclusion, and that's this. 
uh, on this website that I was uh, reading called uh, Psychology for Educators. I was on this website, and uh, you know that one? All right. So I was reading, reading a blog post on there from 2014. Uh, this blog post was titled, uh, How to Motivate Young Learners. And, and it highlighted this hopeful teacher. Her name was Crystal Jones. Now, Crystal Jones was volunteering for Teach for America. And so she was volunteering for Teach for America. She was assigned to a school in Atlanta that was uh, uh, low in every category. It was in a low-income neighborhood. It was a low-performing school. And uh, she was assigned to a first-grade classroom. Well, she got in this classroom and made some immediate observations. The first observation was that no kid in this classroom was ready to be in the classroom. She said... Uh, if you read it, you can go to the website and read it, that there were kids in this classroom that didn't know how to hold a pencil. She said there were kids in this classroom that didn't know their ABCs yet. She said there were only two kids in the classroom who could identify the sight words of dog and cat. This first grade. These kids, their behavior was outrageous. They didn't understand how to be in a classroom. And so she could have just said, you know what? This is a volunteer gig. I'm out. But no, she cared. And she wanted to make a difference. And so what did she do? She, she thought about, what could I do? And as the kids went out for recess one day, she sat on the side and watched them. And she said, she questioned herself, what does a first grader want more than anything? What does a first grader want more than anything? Do you know? Do you know? A first grader wants more than anything to be a third grader. Watch your kids when you get a chance. Every child wants to be like the bigger kids. Right? It's not until they get to middle school when they want to be adults and get all sassy and all in your face and, you know, need a talking to. Uh, but when all the little kids want to be like the bigger kids because the bigger kids are cooler, the bigger kids are faster, the bigger kids are stronger, the bigger kids get to do things that I can't do. And so she came up with a brilliant idea. She told these kids, I'm going to make you third graders. That's life transforming for a first grader. You're going to make me into a third grader? She said, yes. But there's some new rules in this classroom. First rule, number one, no one will refer to anyone in this room as their first name. You will refer to everybody in this classroom as scholar last name. So there was Scholar Johnson and Scholar Jefferson and Scholar uh, 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 Thomas and Scholar Smith and Scholar Brown in the class. Not only did they refer to each other now by a new name, but now they had to repeat a mantra every morning when they came in the classroom. The mantra was, I am a scholar. A scholar is someone who lives to learn and is really good at it. Six months went by. I'm sorry, worship team, I'm taking up your time. I'm wrapping up right here. Six months went by. And something happened. The school had a requirement that the students had to take reading comprehension, 
comprehension exam. Do you know what happened when these kids took the reading comprehension exam? Every student passed. After six months, six months, some of these kids didn't know their ABCs. Six months, some of these kids couldn't identify sight words. Six months, these kids didn't know how to use pencils or turn books the right way. In six months, every one of them passed the first grade reading comprehension exam. But not only that, by the end of the year, that June, all of them were tested again. You can come on up here, Amy. All of them were tested again. And they all tested at a third grade reading level. What what does that tell us? That tells us that your identity is important. You see, Crystal saw these kids not as their past, not as their current condition, but what they could be. And she didn't just see them as that. She called them that. And one day on Calvary's cross, God saw you in your destruction, in your depression, in your downtroddenness. And he said, no longer are you sinner, but now you're a saint. I'm not going to call you what you used to be. I'm going to call you what you are in me. And that is the righteousness of God. You are my child. You are my daughter. You are everything in Christ Jesus. And so Crystal gave these kids a chance. And guess what? I thank God that he's given me a chance. I can just talk about me because it's times that I shouldn't have been uh, uh, where I am today. It shouldn't have been uh, at a next level. I shouldn't have been uh, where I was or what I've done. I shouldn't have achieved what I've achieved. But it's because of grace that he made a way and he called me son. And he's calling you that as well. Son, my daughter, can I come in? transform one room in your life? Can you hear the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart? I want to change that room today. Will you let him in? I'm knocking on your your mind this week. Can I transform that? I'm knocking on your walk. You see, because every time you walk, you end up taking a, a, a detour. And I, no, 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 I want you to be on that straight and narrow. I'm knocking on the door of your feet. Can I come in? I'm going to ask you to take this next step with me. Would you grab your Connect card? At the bottom of your Connect card, it says, my next step. Ushers, would you come forward? Where it says, my next step, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in this message of a step that you need to take to transform your life, I want you to write that down. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask you, will you allow the Holy Spirit to renovate one area in your life, in your mind, in your spirit this week? If you're willing to allow him in, will you just write yes on that line? And I'm going to give you a practical step. Would you just read the book of Ephesians with me this week? One one chapter a day. It's only six chapters. Read the whole book of Ephesians. And every time you pray, pray to God. Say, God, what room do you want to work on next? What room do you want to transform in my life? 
The ushers are passing the basket. You can take that connect card, put it in that basket, along with your tithes, your offering, and you can put it in that and pass it down the road. God bless us as we continue to be shaped into his image.